Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Yurich. I am the founder of 1000 Hours Outside, and I am here today with Dr. L. Carol Scott. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Ginny. Yeah, I'm thrilled. You have so many interesting things to talk about. Um, Carol, I'm just going to read your bio real quick. It's uh, it's a good one. It's a little long, but I'm, I'm going to go through it. So Thanks. it said, you thought you'd be a shrink or a professor who trained shrinks, but life said, no, go this way, which I just love because I think that's <laughs> how all of our lives are, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Our paths just kind of go different ways. So um, you are a a 2018 TEDx speaker and author. You are a coach, a trainer, a keynoter who teaches that relationships are at the heart of all our success. Clients with growth goals turn to Carol for unexpected strategies to expand success through better relationships. This is super interesting. The surprise in Carol's self-aware success strategies is their origin in her first career of early care and education. So you have a BA in child development, a BA in anthropology, and an MA in early child education. Uh, childhood education and a PhD in developmental psychology. So, Carol, how long how long did you go to school? It seems like forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the PhD the PhD alone took thirteen years because I was working full time for a lot of that. Oh, Carol, good for you. That's a lot of persistence. Wow. Yeah, that's an important uh, that's an important asset that I came out of my kind of crazy childhood with persistence. Oh, yeah. So you say your early learning career was the foundation for your astonishing second act and you pivoted uh, and, and worked through your adverse childhood experiences, which sounds like it was pretty hard. You say most kids don't survive that kind of childhood intact. Um, but now that uh, now that you're here, you have come up with these models and ways to revolutionize success through relationships from business networks to family to even your love life. You offer a bridge back to sanity. I love that. So you have uh, a book called Just Be Yourself. You got these cool acronyms because self is an acronym, your guide to improving any relationship. You help your clients embrace greater success through stronger, more self-aware relationships. So welcome. Thank this you. This is so, so interesting. Yeah, I hope your audience is going to get a lot out of this conversation. Jimmy. Yes, I think they will. I think they will. So let's start with sort of these windows of time is something that you talk about, these developmental windows, uh, the birth to five, the birth to seven. Um, you talk about the first 2,500 days, which is the seven years of life. What's going on in those early childhood windows? I think the most important thing for parents of young children to know right away before they even decide to have one, maybe, but certainly as soon as it arrives, is that your baby's brain is being built from the moment of birth until they're about three years old, 85% of basically unwired neural material gets wired up to itself. It's sort of like the baby comes in with a a skull-shaped bowl full of noodles that aren't connected to each other. And every experience they have for the first three years, it, you know, expands the network of how those little wires are connected to each other. And almost all of that is about their social and emotional capacities for being in relationship with other people. Wow. And then for the next two years until they're five, that wiring continues and we get 95% wired by age five. And mostly between three and five, that's all the cognitive stuff. It's about numbers and shapes and letters and, you know, things that we think of as academic. That's not the most important and most uh, sort of high demand, if you will, brain wiring. It's the first three years of being a person that is the really important stuff. And then the last two years from five to seven, we're sort of practicing that. It's like a personality that we're trying on like a shirt and working with in our relationships as we move out of our home and into our wider public life, if you will, going out to school, being a part of the social community. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I feel like in generations past, people didn't need to know about these windows. I think they just lived, you know, and and kids were out in the community and and maybe there were strong family relationships or strong neighborhood networks. And so kids played. And and so what are some of the ways that we can support kids through these, you know, different developmental stages in, in the way that our society is structured now? Well, one of the things that I think is really important for us always to do is to step back, give the kids some space. 
<laughs> Babies have a normal developmental trajectory. They're learning all the time. We don't have to do anything special. There's no need for flashcards. Every single moment of their interaction with the world, they're learning something. So yeah. our important role is to keep away the, the damaging things, make sure that they don't have those adverse childhood experiences. And there's 10 of them. The list is on my website. That, that if children aren't abused, uh, psychologically pressured, um, if they don't have drug addicts for parents, or even just people who aren't paying very close attention to them, if they lose a parent when they're young, you know, these kinds of experiences can interrupt the normal flow of development. But otherwise, we keep away the pain and we kind of get out of their way as a lot of it. Um, yeah. If we let children pursue their own interests and support them, they will learn almost, you know, unless something's developmentally gone astray, they will learn almost without a lot of help because children are born learners. They're yeah. born curious. They're born explorers. And we kind of impose a lot of structure on that that's not necessary a lot of time. Right. And often maybe uh, impede what they would naturally do on their own I mean, I see it with my own kids for sure. You know, we have a five-year-old and, you know, she knows all her letters, but but we didn't sit down in a formal way mm -hmm. and learn them. You know, she can count to however high, but same thing. And sort of you see those things emerge, you know, it's hard to take a step back though. Uh, but it when is. you do, you really do see that, that they emerge naturally, uh, just like so many of the other developmental milestones. And Ginny, when children learn the academic stuff, when they learn things like letters and counting and shapes in the context of something they're already organically interested in. So right. the, the kid who's interested in bats can learn how to read about bats. And the kid who is interested in dinosaurs can learn to read by learning about dinosaurs. And the kid who's interested in nature, you know, it's like follow yeah. their interest and insert the skills. Right. And sometimes they insert them. Our, our youngest, she, um, we were having this birthday party and we were like putting names in a hat, you know, to pull out for mm -hmm. this different game. And so she wanted to be involved. And so she went and grabbed a little strip of paper that we were using and she wrote her name. You know, uh -huh. we'd never done it before, but, <laughs> but she wanted to be a part of the action. And, you know, so that's just like you say, it's like in the right, with the right um, motivation or right interest, kids grasp onto onto these important skills. Uh, relationally, there's this book called Simplicity Parenting by Kim John Payne. I'm not, no, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but in his book, he says the number one predictor of success in life, which is like such a big statement to put in a book. He says the number one key to success in life, the number one predictor is the ability to get along with others. Absolutely um, true. <laughs> so, you know, it's an interesting uh, concept. And I think you know, kids learn a lot of how to get along with each other through play. But um, can you talk about uh, how relationships are developed? Um, yes. You know, in those early years. Yes. And I 100% I agree with that. And it's not my way of saying it is relationships aren't just a thing in your life. They're the only thing wow. that really matters. Wow. And so, so think about this. When a newborn infant comes into the world, they are basically incapable of taking care of themselves. Without us adults, they would die. Mm -hmm. And they have to rely on us to meet their fundamental needs for staying alive. They need us to feed them. They need us to keep them warm and cool and dry and safe. And their only real strategy for that is just to trust that we will. Mm -hmm. And some of us are good at it and some of us are not. And so as the baby moves through those first six to nine months, what they're having is a series of brain building experiences about whether the world is there for them in general. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they come out of that period. That's a developmental period around what I call the success strategy of trust. Can you rely on the world to meet your needs and not overburden you, not push you. One of the teaching tools that I love to use is a little short three-minute video of a, about a, probably about a three-month-old baby rolling around on a, a mat on the floor. And there's a bunch of different toys, lots of different shaped balls in particular, mm -hmm. all around her, different textures, some soft, some hard, some smooth, some have ridges that she can fingers into. And 
For three minutes and 33 seconds, she completely entertains herself, rolling around, scooching around, uh, getting on her tummy and pulling herself forward a little bit, reaching out for things, trying to grab stuff, being successful, not being successful. And her caregiver never interferes. And she, for three minutes and 33 seconds, she rolls around happily entertaining herself, reaching for things, turning from her back to her front and back to her back, trying to grab a hold of the balls. And she looks at her caregiver periodically because caregivers holding the cameras. You can tell when she does that. Mm -hmm. And the caregiver never interferes, but is always there connecting eye to eye. Whenever she looks up, she sees that that person is there for her if she needs her. And the person, the caregiver never helps her if she's struggling until she indicates that she wants help. You know, there's a difference between trying to do something and trying to do something and expressing frustration. And she right. never expresses frustration. She just rolls around and tries. And so every single second of that three minutes and 33 seconds, she is building a million new neural connections every second. Wow. And so we don't wow. want to interrupt that if we don't need to. And what she's learning is I've got some trust and I am competent. I can do mm. this. So when she reaches and struggles to get a hold of this one ball, I would say watching her, it takes her about 20 seconds of the whole video clip to get a hold of that ball. And I would say 99% of us would reach out and help her. We'd move the ball closer, we'd pick it up, we'd give it to her, we'd do something. Right. But eventually, like the little primate she is, she uses her feet <laughs> and her hands and she grabs that thing and gets it up to her chest. Wow. And then she looks at the caregiver like, look at me, I'm all that. And so I think, you know, one of my strong messages is stay out of the way until they clearly indicate they want help. Let right. them try. Let them fail. Let them interact with the world in the way they want to and don't get engaged if you don't have to. So that's that's a big one. And so that first stage of developing that sense of, can I trust the world? That's a core of who we are. That's right at the heart of us. It's knowing that we need things from other people and that they're there for us. Yeah. And then we get a little bit older and we start getting up on our legs and moving around. And we come into the phase of our life where we need to know how to be independent. And our goal is to express who we are, to say what we think, to say what we want, and to say, this is how I'm feeling. And just like when a baby is learning to walk, they fall down a lot. They make mistakes and fall down a lot. They lose their balance and fall mm -hmm. down a lot. So they do when they're learning how to express themselves. And so tantrums are a form of falling down when you're learning to express yourself, getting demanding, saying no, refusing, getting obstinate, um, <clears throat> saying that you want something and then being upset when you get it. All of that stuff is falling down, learning to express yourself. And so if we could have the same patience with a two-year-old <laughs> that we have with a one-year-old who's learning to walk in mm. recognition that this strategy of independence is another big important part of who we are. So we build on, I have needs and the world is there. We build on that with, I have thoughts, I have feelings, and I have interests or things I want, not needs, but you know, like the shiny wrapper on the floor, that kind of want, mm -hmm. the toy in your hand, not I need to be fed, but I want stuff. Right. And those four things, what I need, what I think, what I feel, and what I want, that's a lot of who we are as a social being, as an adult. And it's all getting wired into our brain before we're three. Wow. That's a big deal. So it's the good news and the bad news. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, so, and so you talk about this, but, you know, I think the hardest thing about parenting is that you mess it up, you know, oh, I mean, all of us. you know, or <laughs> you just, you know, you learn the information that you need to learn a little bit too late and the time period has come and gone. So, you know, what do you, what do you say to parents who maybe have missed these things, you know, with each of my subsequent kids, I've learned you know, to step back more and more, but didn't quite know it, you know, at the beginning, or it takes practice a little bit, I think. And the good news is my, my best news message for all of us is it's never too late. You can start yeah. when you're 30 to build these pieces of yourself again, development do-overs, I call it. We can all go back and re-pattern, rewire, change 
how we approach relationships. So if we don't have a very healthy strategy for trust now at 20, 30, 40, 50, or if we didn't really support our child's trust at six months and now they're five and we want to do Mm. it differently, it's not too late. We just start making sure that we're aware that this child still has needs and they're still looking for somebody to trust to meet those needs. And we start working with that at the age of five instead of at the age of two months or a month. Right, right. And I can see that. I mean, I can see how, you know, with our older kids, they're very adaptable. And I've learned as they've grown older to take a step back that they take take with that what they will and, and learn and grow. How did you overcome things that were missing in your childhood? Well, that's that. I'm so glad you asked me that because I, I do want to say that sometimes the missing pieces are big enough and the damage is large enough that you have to start with tools other than mine. And in my um, book at my little 28 page book at that I want to offer to your folks. Yeah, I've got um, that. It's great. What I, what I say is that there's, you know, sometimes there's a big deal you need to deal with. You need to figure right. out the the what's wrong right now. So when I was 30, I woke up and faced the fact, I mean, literally woke up one morning with the thought in my mind, gee, maybe using drugs and alcohol the way I do is like not okay. <laughs> maybe mm. there's something wrong with that. And I literally had never thought of it before because it was just the way I survived. It was just the way I got through every day. Yeah. And so yeah. I went to therapy first for seven years. I went to group therapy. I went to individual therapy and I addressed my history of incest from my father. I addressed the emotional abuse from my mother. I addressed all the dynamics of a really crazy family and the fact that I was using drugs and alcohol to bury all that. And then I got to the point where I was whole enough to start looking at some of this relationship stuff. And my marvelous therapist took advantage of the fact that I was a developmental psychology PhD student at the time Mm-hmm. And said, well, you've got these little kids right there in front of you. I'm trying to help you develop social and interpersonal skills that you need as an adult that you don't have. And they're doing it in front of you every day. Watch them. And wow. that was really the birth of the seven success strategies, the self-aware success strategies that wow. I call the fast became, were born in those years in the classroom when I was watching three, four, and five-year-old children develop into social beings and learning from them about what I needed. Well, that's fascinating. So, so can you give an example? Um, Absolutely. So um, three-year-olds are are one of my favorites examples because they're like my favorite age. Mm -hmm. Um, The, the success strategy at three, I call faith because it's about imagination and creativity and the ability to believe in all things, which is a three-year-old in a nutshell, right? Mm -hmm. They like believe in everything. And so the, the kind of um, wildly, out of reality suggestions and ideas and imagery that three-year-olds bring used to be something that I didn't pay a lot of attention to and didn't encourage. And I tried to get children to be realistic at three, which is very silly of me, was very silly of me. And so I realized, oh, I don't have this anymore. I don't, I, I laugh at this or think it's not important because I didn't get it. I don't do this kind of wildly outside the box, believing in everything, believing in miracles, calling things what they look like, like uh, the three-year-old who saw the, all the, have you ever seen a, a spider web full of baby spiders? Like they just hatched. I, no, I never have. Well, it, there's like a whole lot of little teeny, teeny, teeny little spiders, like a lot of them, uh, maybe, you know, hundreds that come out of the the eggs all at the same time. And this kid saw one in the morning on a, uh, and we went outside to play and saw one on a bush and said, Carol, Carol, millions and millions of baby diamond spiders. Oh, I know. And whereas before I would have laughed and said, oh, they're not really diamonds. They're just, you know, I'd be like scientific and, and try to teach. Right. I went, I learned to, I shifted myself to someone who got down on my knees, literally to their perspective and, and went in with them, went into the fantasy, went into the image with them. Oh my gosh, look at how they sparkle. You're right. They're like diamonds. What else do you see? When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my Vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. 
Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. And tried to look at the world more through their eyes. So that's a real specific example of just trying to be with where the child is and learn from that and get something. Because here's the thing. I can't help kids develop these success strategies and get strong in them if I don't have them. It's a put your own oxygen mask on first situation. Right. And so those of us who came through childhood without the opportunities to be playful, to learn how to negotiate with somebody and make a win-win solution in a problem situation. Mm -hmm. If we didn't learn how to do it from our family experience, how are we going to help our kids? Right. It's interesting. Uh, This is really interesting. I've actually never talked to anyone about this before. Like you said, that that you're learning. It's one thing to sort of let them develop. It's another thing to learn from them what we should be developing or, you know, at what pieces might be missing, you know, in our own lives as adults. Um, yeah. So you have these seven SAS. So you're good at these acronyms. So tell us what SAS represents. Self-aware success strategies. There, there's seven strategies that make children successful and make us successful in our relationships as adults. And we, if we If we develop them as children, we're pretty self-aware little beings by the time we're seven. And if we don't, we need to develop the self-awareness as adults. We need to strengthen our self-awareness to grow them, to do the development do-overs. We need to look at ourselves. We need a, a powerful mirror to say, how can I be more of this, more trusting, more capable of negotiation, which is the four-year-old strategy. If you've ever lived mm-hmm. with a four-year-old, you completely understand why that's yes, their strategy. Yes, for sure. <laughs> they're, like, they're like the little labor negotiators of the preschool classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, vision. As a five-year-old, the, they're the strategic planners. Set a goal and pursue it and build and make and, and fix and do. And then six and seven-year-olds are like little philosophers. They're sort of wrapping it all up and trying to figure out how it works in social society. And so I call their strategies compromise and acceptance. So it's mm-hmm. trust, independence, faith, negotiation, vision, compromise, and acceptance. And if we have those seven capacities as adults, we have really healthy relationships. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because... Um... You know, when I look at these these different um, 
these different words, mm-hmm. you know, I do, it does make me think a lot about playtime and in particular outdoor play, you know, like you talked about the spiders and the faith mm-hmm. and sort of the wonder at age three. And then, you know, when they're playing with each other and I guess whether indoors or out, you know, they're learning how to negotiate. Mm-hmm. They're coming up with the vision. They're learning how to compromise. So how does how does play, nature play, free play, how does it fit into uh, developing these different traits? I think it's 100% the source. So whether we're talking about the infant, three-month-old, rolling around, playing on the blanket on the floor, playing by herself, basically, or we're talking about the seven-year-old in the second-grade classroom trying to get along with a pretty diverse group of people in a structured environment mm-hmm. where there's a lot going on and things don't always go right. All of those are play situations that are building everything from trust to the acceptance of Sometimes I follow all the rules. Sometimes I try my best. Sometimes I'm a really nice person and people still don't get along with me or they're still not nice to me. And, huh, oh, well, I'm not yeah. going to take that. <laughs> yeah, that's an, in- that's an interesting one. Acceptance, yeah. like you said yeah. that. I mean, even even right from the very get go from your um, bio where you say, I thought it was going to go this way. And nope, it went that way. You yeah. know, um, that you're sort of accepting your path and accepting what you have to deal with. Yep. And, you know, some kids have to deal with some really hard stuff. You know, you can be the best behaved child, follow all the rules, do your homework, do everything that your parents expect you to do. Just be one of those blessedly perfect children and your mom can get cancer and die. Right. The really hard stuff in life comes and smacks kids in the face when they followed all the rules and it's not fair. Yeah. And that's the age where they learn, you know, kind of a hard yeah. lesson that life's not fair and yeah. it's okay. You can still keep going. Right. And sometimes they're learning in smaller ways that would maybe prepare them for bigger things that are to come. Right. Uh, I love how you say that they can learn these things in the sandbox. <laughs> so what do you mean by that? Well, I kind of think of life as a sandbox. And so when we're little, it's a really small sandbox and it just is, has a couple of people in it. Yeah. And when we get older, it's a bigger sandbox and we have to have different kinds of strategies to play in the bigger sandbox. I think adults play in adult sandboxes in the workplace, mm-hmm. in their families, in their neighborhoods. And so it's really about kind of how do you share the toys? How do you share the space how do you make rules with people to get along and and participate in a world that works for everyone? That's kind of the way I think of those last two, compromise and acceptance, those last two success strategies at six and seven. They're a lot about wrapping up the package of how do we live in a world that works for everyone, not just me or not just you, but yeah. we're all accepted for this unique little being that we are, because boy, if you come out of that trust, independence, and faith period with a really clear sense of who you are and what you're excited about in life, there's almost nothing that can shake you after that. That's really the heart of who we are. If I know what I need and I trust that I can get my needs met, I know what I want and I know that it's okay to want it. I know how I feel and my feelings feel okay to me. I don't feel like my feelings are bad or wrong or inappropriate for the situation. And I know that my thoughts and my opinions and my beliefs are mine and other people have different ones. And just think if we all knew all those things. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) We would play in the adult sandbox totally differently, wouldn't we? Yeah, we sure would. Yeah. And I think we would continue to value being playful and, um, you know, value what the child does and how that contributes so much to their yes. own growth and development. Yes. So you talk a lot about success. Someone could be an artist or a banker, a car mechanic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How would how would you define success? For me, success is when I am able to align my activity in in my life with who I really truly am instead of aligning it around a bunch of rules and masks and roles and expectations that other people have for me that don't really feel like me. Yeah. So if, you, if we think for a minute about the experience of an awful lot of toddlers, and I, I say this with all love to parents who are really doing a hard job and toddlers, <laughs> toddlers not, are hard <laughs> and toddlers sure. are not easy. They're like, Ooh, yeah. They can strain even the most patient person. Yeah. But what the toddler experiences way too often is, 
oh, that's what you think. That's wrong. That's silly. That's how you feel. That's not nice. You shouldn't feel like that. That's what you want. No, that's yucky. That's disgusting. Put that down. So over and over again, the repeated experience in the life of a toddler is who you are is not okay. They're doing that. I'm trying to express myself. I'm trying to tell you what I think, what I feel, what I want. And over and over again, you're telling me I'm not good enough or I'm too much for you. Hmm. I overwhelm you or I'm not up to snuff. <laughs> but is it is it kind of the truth? Right. <laughs> Just toddlers can be so overwhelming. But it is interesting, like you say, that they're picking up on that. Yes. It's wiring their brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's wiring their brain around it's those ideas. Up. Yeah. And so yeah. we we have all these adults now who who think they're too much or think they're not enough. They think they're not. Yeah. Pretty enough, smart enough, fast enough, quick enough, mm. you know, all of those negative messages that people have programmed in, they don't even know that it was programmed into them before they could participate, before right. they're even, they're not going to remember it. That's right. the really stinky part, you know, because we don't hardly remember things before we're about four Right. In, in terms of our language and intellectual development. We don't form memories the same way. Everything's kind of in the body up until then. Yeah. And so we come into four and five already wearing a mask that seeks approval hmm. from other people. Yeah. I am going to be like this because this is what gets my love, gets your love from me. This is what gets you paying attention to me. This is what keeps me feeling safe. And like, yeah. you'll keep taking care of me. It's kind of bottom line. Yeah. And you can see how that can, that can follow you all of your life. Yes. And in, in really damaging families and really toxic families where there are multiple of those adverse childhood experiences, those kind of messages are always the predominant messages. You're not okay, kid. Yeah. 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 And then they're having to really deal with that through adulthood. And, yes. and really, like you said, though, sometimes they may not even know they need to deal with it. So if people are interested in, in learning more about the seven, I'm going to see if I can get the acronym right. Self, don't tell me, self-aware success strategies. Um, you got it. You've got, a, you've got yeah. a book about it called Just Be Yourself. Uh, tell, us, yeah. tell us a little bit about the book. Okay. Now, when I wrote the book, I was still calling them the seven childhood treasures, which they most surely are. Oh, that's However, cute I sort of, uh, Yeah, I've rebranded them as the mm-hmm. self-aware success strategies. I think it's more universal for people. Yeah. Um, and so that book, Just Be Your S-E-L-F, Your Self-Governed, Ego-Aware, Leading, Free Self, explains and uh, the developmental processes by which we develop, we, we get those strategies, those treasures, but also then it's a workbook. And so for adults who feel like, you know what, my trust doesn't really work all that well. I don't trust very many people or I trust the wrong people <laughs> for the things that yeah. I need or I don't even know what I need. Then yeah, there can be a whole score. My development- <laughs> There can be a whole score of issues here. You know, exactly. if you take, because you have the list in your book at, um, you yes. know, you have the list of trust, independence, faith, negotiation, vision, compromise, and acceptance. And so I, I would imagine that, you know, some people are probably fine and the other people probably are like, okay, I've got scores of issues here, you know, mm-hmm. that I need to address. Um, yeah. And so, and so there's a workbook element. Right. So there are my development do-overs that I use in coaching and in training that I do are baked into the book. And so you can actually get out a pen and sit down and fill out grids and fill in blanks. And and there's a lot of suggested activities for adults who are trying to recapture these missing success, success strategies into their own lives now. Yeah. Do you find that the adults you work with mainly are focusing on one or mainly focusing on a couple or, or sometimes focusing on all seven? Um, you know, it's, it's quite variable. And actually when they begin, what they're focusing on is I don't feel like I'm being successful. <laughs> I am right. not, I am not rising in my life the way I expect to, or I'm really struggling with this relationship with my boss, my spouse, my mother, my sister, you know, I'm really struggling here and I need this to be different. And then we discover what is at the 
the root of it. And often, often, often we have to start with trust and independence because frankly, uh, the history of American parenting over the last 50 years has done a lot to a lot of disservice to the really littles under three. We haven't really gotten what we were doing with three-year-olds. I don't think even yet. We, yeah. we, we know as a science that the brain is being wired, but we haven't responded to that reality with supports for families that would help them during that mm. crucial period of development. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember to sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com/outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last minute get together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash outside120 code outside120. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I had a lady on named Pam Leo. Uh, who wrote a book called Connection Parenting, and she talked a lot about how parents are so under-resourced, and yes. and and that that is a, probably one of the main modern parenting problems. Is that you know how how do you deal with a toddler when you haven't slept and you've got a baby and you've got bills to pay and and all of these sort of things and you feel like the weight of the world on your shoulders and you have a you know a demanding two-year-old, which they're meant to be demanding. Like you said, that's how they're supposed to be. And so do you have thoughts on to me, I, I think that the answer would be community. Um, like community support, small community support, but do you do you have thoughts on what would make that better? Well, we have a lot of sort of documented solutions. I mean, community is great if you have it. And across the socioeconomic strata of our culture that's not the only thing that's needed. There's so many people who are just struggling with the basics to keep a roof over the head, to put food on the table, to pay the bills, that to be creative about how to get your kids' needs met better in community is really pretty low on the list, unfortunately. So, you know, I I think there's a whole host of things like, uh, you know, addressing minimum wage and child care and the cost of child care. And, you know, you're raising your most, this most vulnerable age child when you are at the very beginning of your earning potential as an adult, you're just trying to <laughs> put your foot at the door of your career or build right. your business or whatever to make yourself as successful as you're wanting to be. And you don't have enough support doing that to really divide your time well yeah. with your kids. It is really tricky. I've thought about that too, in the, um, you know, in the financial sense. And then, 
you know, additionally, like you just don't know anything and then you're not sleeping, you know, so it's just this right. compounded right. odd thing. You know, it's like, you know, our, our kids are ages five to 13 right now. We have five of them. I'm kind of in this sweet uh -huh. spot. It's, it's a lot easier, Carol, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. and, you know, now I've got the time to like learn about the, you know, the yeah. seven, you know, the seven, yeah. but back when you're not sleeping and, and you're feeding kids all day and they can't do anything for themselves and right. you're responsible for a hundred percent of their needs. It's hard to even learn and grow. So. And then what if you live in a neighborhood where there's gunfire all night long or sure. it's sure. not safe to go outside and play yeah. or, you know, or you have, you know, the, the list of adverse childhood experiences, it's um, two kinds of physical abuse, you know, physical and sexual two mm -hmm. kinds and emotional, three kinds of abuse, two kinds of neglect, physical and emotional, and mm -hmm. then five family dysfunction states that include the loss of a parent to death or divorce, the incarceration mm -hmm. of a parent or the involvement of that parent in crime, active crime, kind of all day long in your house, yeah. um, a parent with a mental health issue, a parent who's bipolar or a parent who's depressed. Mm -hmm. um, even serious postpartum depression can interfere with a, a mother's ability to provide that trusting, trust meeting, you know, that needs yeah. meeting environment. Um, so I didn't name all five of the family dysfunction, but you kind of get the idea. Well, what if you have five or six of those out of, yeah. you know, the 10, or you have seven of those, yeah. almost 62%, uh, I think, have at least one in our history, 62% wow. of us. And usually that's the loss of a parent to death or yeah. divorce. That's a very wow. common one. Yeah. But something like close to 20% of us have four or more. Wow. Well, that just stacks the deck higher and higher against the parent and the kid. Yeah. Yeah. It just compounds. Everything becomes harder. Yeah. And, and I saw that you said that you had seven, seven yes. out of the 10. Yeah. On yours. And that's what I mean. Kids, kids like me often don't survive. And I was very fortunate to also have a lot of what we call the resilience factors. Mm. So I was, I was raised in a middle-class house. My parents divorced when I was young. And so we didn't have quite as much money as the other people around us, but I went to middle-class schools. I had neighbors who showed me how parents could be different from mine. I got yeah. to see role models of parenting that I didn't see at home. My uh, mother's father had financial resources and sent us to summer camp. So mm. every summer from about the age of 10, I think, maybe or so, I went to summer camp for some period of the summer. I had the money to go to college because of him. You know, So there were a lot of ways that helped me survive. There were a lot of factors in my life that helped mm -hmm. me survive the seven. And if I hadn't had those and then gone to therapy, I probably wouldn't be here now. Wow. For a lot of my 20s, I didn't expect yeah. to live past 30, really. Oh. But here you are with here all of your with all of your degrees and your book and just uh, such important information for families and for adults. I think this is an interesting topic because um, it's applicable. It's applicable to all ages. Cause like you said, we can work on, on all of these things at all ages, mm -hmm. um, through childhood and then also into adulthood. So can you tell people about your book at, so you've got, a, I love that word. Um, so Carol, where can, where can people find your book? Um, just be yourself and my book for teachers, which is called let the child shine teaching to the brilliance in a young child. Those are both available through my website shop or on Amazon. And you can order them from any bookseller. You can go walk into a bookstore and order them. Um, yeah. my book at is a special gift. So this is a little 28 page, um, PDF book at, um, I didn't think I could call it a book and booklet just doesn't begin to describe it. So book at was what I settled on. So if your guests, your listeners who are listening would just send me an email at carol at lcarolscott.com, I will return the PDF to them. It's a special oh, gift. that's fantastic. And I have it here. It is, it is really informational and it gives, um, I think, a first taste of all these things that you're talking about. If parents like myself haven't heard of these things before, which I hadn't um, heard of a lot of this before and it's really informative. So, um, I'm just going to say it again, you're L Carol Scott. So L Carol Scott.com and Carol mm -hmm. at L Carol Scott.com is yes. the email address that people, um, can, can email to ask about the book at, and the book at is called become your sassy self. I love it. And self stands for self-governed ego aware, leading free. 
It's success strategies for work life and the balance between, which I love. There is a balance between. So what a what a generous offer, Carol. What about the uh, what about the book for teachers? Let the child shine. What's that about? Um, it takes the the basics of the seven childhood treasures, which I was still calling them when I wrote that book too, um, and turns them into kind of teaching advice. So if you are a teacher of infants, if you work in a, a childcare or early start program and you have babies. What are the things that you do as a teacher that will foster the strategy of trust, the development of a strong capacity for trust? What are the things that we do as teachers that really get in the way? So give up the bad plan, give up the old stuff and take on this new stuff instead, these new approaches. And I just kind of walk through each of those seven success strategies and do do that. It's not exactly a curriculum, but it's like a framework of advice for how we interact with kids. So things like at four, kids should be making classroom rules with their teachers. They shouldn't have rules imposed on them. Ah. They should be negotiating as a group on what the rules should be and learning the language of positive rulemaking. Like we keep our hands to ourselves instead of we don't hit because four-year-olds will come up with all the no hitting, no biting, no scratching, no, no, no. And so Mm -hmm. the teacher's job is to help them frame that as a positive, a win-win negotiation. Yeah. Well, there's this guy, his name is, uh, he goes by Teacher Tom. Oh, I know Teacher Tom's work. Yes. Yeah, he's so awesome. Uh, Tom Hobson, that's his full name, yes. but he, he's Teacher Tom or The Teacher Tom, which I think is funny. He's always, like his pictures are always of him in a red cape, but he's got <laughs> two, two books and I really like, I mean, he just went for it. His, his books are just called Teacher Tom's first book and Teacher Tom's second book. You know, it's like if you got good content, you know, people want to read it. And I and I kind of just love that he went for it like that and um, just went with those basic names. You know, this is what it yeah. is. But his he works with three and four year olds, and so yeah. um, his books are just filled with stories that really reflect what you're talking about here. And I I remember reading his books a lot about how in the classroom they're the kids make the rules and they talk through them and what about this circumstance and and that really helps them govern themselves because they'll go back to the rules that they made. And, you know, the thing that is great about Teacher Tom and that I really felt an alliance with him uh, right away is he teaches from a constructivist philosophy. Mm -hmm. He understands that children construct knowledge. Yeah. They build it themselves based on what happens to them and what they experience in the world. And that's why every child is different and unique, because they construct different understandings of who they are and how they get along in the world. And the biggest area of life in which we construct our understanding is our sense of who we are. Our sense mm. of self is something yeah. we build starting the moment we're born all the way up to the age of seven. And then we just go out into the world and be that person, whether for good or for ill, unfortunately, you know, whether we did that well or or made a mess of it. Um, And so some of us like me have to have the do over later because the person I was up to age 30 is nobody you would like, I guarantee you. I was not a good person to be friends with. I was not a good person to be married to. I was probably not a very good boss in a lot of ways. Mm. And so the people who knew me and worked with me and were my friends in my 40s and my 50s and beyond got a much better person. Aw, but what a message of hope that is, Carol. That, you know, like you talk about so much that there's sort of this emphasis on this birth to seven and, you know, it's a message of hope that mess it up a bit that there's still yeah it's never too late never too late yeah Yeah. for sure for sure well um carol i know you you talked about um just hard childhood years but on our podcast we we always end with um a favorite outdoor moment or nature moment or hands-on moment um do you feel comfortable sharing one do you have one from my childhood or your, um, well you know it, we leave it open-ended i usually ask from your childhood but if you wanted to ask even from this like or answer from this you know do-over childhood like you've had in your 30s and 40s or no i don't i i had lots of great moments as a child i can pick from yeah yeah it wasn't it wasn't all pain and suffering that's the good news too mm, yeah. um part of my resilience factor as a child was in my very early childhood before my parents divorced i got to go visit my father's parents fairly regularly on their farm in western kansas and so i grew up in a suburb but i had a little taste of farm childhood off and on all the time until i was about eight 
And so a lot of my really positive memories are from the farm. And one of them is the taste of well water. Every time, wow. we, every time we went to the farm, the very first thing I did when I got out of the car was race over to the pump and get myself a little tin cup of well water and drink it. <laughs> wow, you liked it. I did. It was cold. It was colder mm -hmm. than any water that came out of a tap in the city. Mm -hmm. And it tasted like something. It had minerals in it and it, yeah. it tasted like it had body on your tongue. And I loved that, that experience, that, that experiencing the world very, very differently mm -hmm. in that wide open space of Western Kansas with wheat fields all around me and well water in a cup in my hand. Yeah, isn't it, isn't it interesting how those small things leave such an impression? You know, that's such a, I mean, it really is such a small thing, well water in a tin right. cup, you know, yeah. but can be so impactful as a sense, you know, the sensory input of it being so cold and the way it tasted and the anticipation of it. What a neat story. Uh, farm Farms are fun. I think they are for kids for sure. I have similar memories of going to my great uncle's farm as a child and there was always kittens and uh, right? cows and yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 so many things and, wow. um, you know, no toys, but just, um, uh, nature's toys. So <laughs> they're the uh, best, they're the they best are. toys there. They are. Well, Carol, I so appreciate you coming on and sharing just such pertinent and useful information for parents, for their families, and for themselves. Um, once again, if they want to find you, you're at lcarolscott.com, and they can email for your book at, uh, which I really recommend. I, um, I really enjoyed reading it, carol at lcarolscott.com. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Jenny. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. 